He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner bag, and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst. Hey, do you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud? Welcome to Munson's at the Movies. My name is Kyle. I will once again be your host. Joined by the rest of the Munson's, want to give them a wide berth. He's what is called a born loser. A real Munson. <laughs> and talk a little bit about what's going on in their world. We'll start with kind of some sadder news. Rigby, who successfully evaded us the last episode when we talked about Max Foncito, he uh, just got a new job. And his life is chaos. It's requiring him to work a lot in the evening. So for a little bit, he's going to be taking a step back from the pod. Just enough to, I think, just to kind of get his life in order and figure out what his schedule is going to look like as he takes on this new producer job out in L.A. I think Hollywood has gotten the best of him. For sure. What do you guys think? And that leads into my update. Upon hearing that news that Rigby's leaving, I feel like you're hanging out with your high school buddies. And one of your buddies moves out to L.A. And he's like, no, seriously, you guys, we're going to hang out all the time. You're going to come out and see me. I'm going to come back and see you. And then you don't see that person until like your 25-year reunion. I'm happy for Rigby and doubtful we will ever hear or see him again. <laughs> nah. <laughs> He'll be back. It's just a matter of time. Just We'll see. I'm stoked for him. He's, he's excited about that job and I'm happy for him. James. Love Rigby. Love that he's doing what he's got to do to get things right. I fully expect him to come back at some point, so I will not give him the out of saying he's not coming back. I will shame him and guilt him if he doesn't. <laughs> that aside, <laughs> uh, we are filming while my fanatical sports fandom is on display on national TV, so I apologize in advance for any changes in tone, whether that be positive or negative. I'll try not to scream into the fans' eardrums during the Jets game. James, we appreciate your sacrifice tonight. That's right. Love Ruby. Happy for him. Uh, hopefully he comes back soon. I've got a lot going on over here. One, I got to see Dave Chappelle stand up live, which what? was incredible. I saw the goat do the thing yes. while he was in his prime. So it's like one of those things that just I stamped that moment in my life. And that was great. On to sadder news that concerns all of you. I apologize in advance. My students have discovered my social medias and thus this podcast. <laughs> That's a good thing, man. You're going to open their eyes. It's not a good thing. It's not a good thing because here's literally the first thing that was said. Ms. McKay, you got a podcast? Yeah, I do. Is it on Spotify? Yep. Found it. Other kid. Two and a half hours? Ding! And that was the conversation. So maybe they won't listen, or maybe That's they're true. all listening right now. Because I literally had a kid go through on like 70 pictures on Instagram this past weekend. <laughs> There's no way they're listening. I apologize in advance if you have any questionable requests from ninth grade students from Florida. Just, you know, reach out and I'll let you know, <laughs> you know, if they're insane or not. New fans, baby. For those students who are still listening three minutes into this podcast, I want you to know that Mr. McKay will weigh your grades better if you leave a five-star review. Oh. He, he legally can't say it on this podcast, but he has said it offline. Five-star review. He'll put his finger on the scale, help you out a little bit. Amen. Here, new listening audience. Maybe we can teach them about some films that they might like or get intrigued by because 
clearly what you were doing wasn't working. All I hear is a whole new generation of students that don't like me. So I'm excited Ooh. about that. <laughs> Case can't, can't get away from coaching over there, you know? <laughs> My life has also been wild, like Aubrey. I been going nonstop really since Thursday. I got my car serviced. I got paid a lot of money for that. I was in Texas for a day and a half, gave some presentations. My dad came down and we roofed my barn yesterday. My neighbor took out a tree this morning and he's given me all the wood from that. So now I have another project for Saturday. James, if you're free on Saturday, come help a boy out. If you need a workout, I got the spot for you. Sorry, my my internet connection's bad. I didn't hear what you said. <laughs> exactly. I'm officially no longer single, which is really cool too. So Woo! that's exciting. That's exciting. Oh, you tried to bury that one at the end. She's met two of the Munsons, and she's real, James. And confirm she is real. She doesn't go to a different high school. All right, she's not from Canada. <laughs> so Kyle wasn't getting catfish. I thought that might have been a trend happening on this podcast. No, no. <laughs> Real person can confirm. <laughs> so excited. Life life's good over here. But life's even better because we also have one of our favorite guests is back, and that's Laura Benicky. Yes. She's a film nerd who loves Star Wars, the bears, sword fighting, gardening, and animals. She's also a SAG actor and stunt woman. For a brief time, she worked in casting. She's a proud mom of three strong and gorgeous daughters and works a day job at a big bank. She joined us previously for the Gary Cole, Bonnie Hunt, J-Lo, and Jim Belushi episode. So this is number five for Laura. Welcome back. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So I fulfilled my lifelong dream of meeting Spanguli a few weeks ago. You guys probably don't know Spanguli because it's a Chicago thing. He's the horror movie host for years and years and years, and he has rubber chickens thrown at him. He's just hysterical. So you have to look him up. He's like the Elvira, but funnier, <laughs> of the Chicagoland area. And I'm also writing a screenplay for Babes with Blades, sword fighting theater troupe that my old stage combat teacher has put up the prize for. And so you write the choreography for the fights, the stunt fights, and you write the play. So I'm working on that. I'm on. Yep. And I'm also missing Matthew Perry horribly. You know, as we all know, he passed away and they're still working on sharing the autopsy results. I did get lucky enough to work as an extra on season three, episode 13. So if you want to check me out, I'm behind the couch in the coffee shop. <laughs> and he was so nice. He was so nice. He was jittery. He was hyper. He was kind of bouncing around on the couch all day. But he was very friendly and nice. And they all were. They all were really nice. It's way too soon. And he was just kind of getting his life back on track the way he wanted it. Yeah, I'm very saddened by that. But thank you again for having me. We're always happy to have you. That's an easy ask for us. Yes. I think we need to shorten her professional bio to just say uh, Laura Bedecky is a complete film badass. That's it. I don't think we need to go into any more detail of that. All right. So go ahead, Laura, make that change now because I'll copy and paste it for the next time because <laughs> okay. I might forget. That'll be the easiest route. Copy paste. You're my sister's favorite guest. Just to remind you of that. A lot of pressure. Because of the accent? Badass. You're just a badass. <laughs> well, we're glad to have you back. Glad to dig in. Glad to give Matthew Perry a shout out and uh, inspire a, a new generation of Aubrey's students to watch Almost Heroes with him and Chris Farley. <laughs> Birthdays. We've got a few segments that Rigby would normally do, so we kind of doled those out. K 
Chase and I are going to split those up. So I'm, I like the birthdays, and I'm just and I'm too good at guessing birthdays. So I got to give you guys a chance here. That's what it is, right? Now I just enjoy. I like trivia. We've got November sixteenth. First and foremost, we have Maggie Gyllenhaal, Dark Knight, and a bunch of other roles that I'm sure she's mediocre in. How old is Maggie Gyllenhaal? Oh, geez, Maggie Gyllenhaal is great. What did, movie did she direct recently? She directed a movie. I didn't watch it, but I heard it was good. She directed The Lost Daughter with Olivia Coleman. I did watch that, <laughs> and it was good. It was very good. How old is Maggie Gyllenhaal? Here's the problem with you doing this. Usually you guess first and you're wrong, and all of us have better chances. And so now you don't get to guess. That's true. So now it's like a real test of skill. Mm-hmm. I'll say 38. 45. 40. Oh, man. You guys are ever in the strike zone. 43. So Maggie Gyllenhaal is turning 46 on November 16th. So Aubrey takes that one. Let's go. Congratulations, my friend. I went against my normal strategy, so I had to win. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't say 24. One of those situations. (laughs) That's good. Next up with Missy Pyle. She's in some of my favorite comedies. She plays one of the parents in Harold and Kumar Escape from Guantanamo Bay when they got the Cyclops kid in the basement. She plays the dodgeball player from Romanovia in Dodgeball, the one who throws the ball incredibly hard. <laughs> okay. You can't even tell it's her. And she's in a lot of other stuff. She's very funny. How old is Missy Pyle? I've got no point of reference here. So we all know where this is going. 27. That's <laughs> very polite of you. <laughs> 43. 40. 39. He is turning 51. So I believe that's a case victory there. What? Yeah. That's messed up. 51. Yeah, I would not have guessed that Missy Pyle was going to be turning 51 in 2023. That's wild to me. She looks amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Captain Fantastic, Galaxy Quest. She's in some good flicks, man. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Gone Girl. She's had a pretty decent career. All right. Last but certainly not least, whether or not you want to say this person has a good career, that's up to you. But Pete Davidson, most known for being on SNL, having a father who passed in 9-11, also apparently having a massive dong, according to Ariana Grande. How old is Pete? In his stand-up special, he addresses how she just made that up because the only people who know that that's not true are him her and every woman he hooks up with for the rest of time. And so he's like, it was just an ex getting back at me because it's it's just simply not true. <laughs> and then he had to just go disappoint Kate Beckinsale and all these other just exactly. incredible women. <laughs> he's like, it's everyone thinks that's a compliment, but really it's an ex just, you know, sandbagging every relationship I have moving forward. That's actually really funny. Yeah, it's really hurting him. He's definitely not winning in that field. He's dating Madeline Klein right now, who is very ugly, awful. <laughs> Pete Davidson. He's a he's an old thirty three, is my guess. Give me thirty four. Gonna say twenty eight. Thirty nine. Pete Davidson, the guy who plays himself in every film he's in, and he's excellent at playing himself in every film he's in. He is turning thirty, so Laura wins that one with her guest of twenty eight. An old thirty. Yeah. An old an old thirty three. He's like a tree. He gets a tattoo for every year he's on the <laughs> earth. It's like rings of a tree. We had five actors we threw onto the wheel for episode 92. They were Pam Greer, Kate Blanchett, Melissa McCarthy, Jamie Bell, but it didn't matter because the wheel selected Mila Kunis. Mila's got 76 credits on her resume, and within that, there's quite a bit of films, but two massive TV shows are kind of the big anchors for the work she's done, both on screen and off as a voice actor. Um, so we'll just kind of dig in. We'll talk about the highs, the lows, everything in between. 
but we'll do as much as we can to talk about Mila Kunis, her career, and kind of what led her to where she's at today. But first and foremost, we always start with a little actor trivia to see if James can stump us Fast and Furious style. Laura, this is old news for you. You've done it many times. But for Aubrey students who are new listeners, I'm about to read three facts here, two of which are going to be true about Mila Kunis, one of which is going to not be true about Mila Kunis, but will be about one of the many illustrious cast members of the Fast and the Furious franchise. The guests here have to guess which one is not true about Mila. Fact number one, the descendant of Holocaust survivors, her parents immigrated to the U.S. from the USSR to avoid facing further anti-Semitism with only $250 to their name. Fact number two, she was the youngest student admitted to the training program at the American Conservatory Theater. She began her acting career at the age of nine with a comedy sketch for The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. Fact number three, she raised over $37 million in aid for Ukrainian refugees to be relocated following the breaking out of the war with Russia in 2022. These are great facts. And you make it really hard for me to make jokes about Iggy Azalea when you choose facts like these. So, <laughs> so you're going back to the drawing board. I've committed to this bit. I found one that I think won't be offensive. Iggy Azalea. And it's the second fact. Cause that's my only option here. Hmm. Anyone else? Please, I'm not giving hints here. I'm stuck because I tried doing a little last-second research, and I came up with an article that Mila Kunis is tapping herself to be in a all-female spinoff of a Fast and Furious movie. That can't be real. I'm going to say the lie is number one, and it's Natalie Emanuel. Ooh, I like that choice. Very good. I'm going to follow Aubrey and go with, I think, fact number two is the lie. And I'm going to go. No, no, because it's the noted comedian, Ted Levine. Mm. Guy is obviously very funny in every role he's in. Noted comedian on screen. And if you know Ted Levine, you know I'm full of shit at this moment in time. (laughs) I'm going to say number two is the lie. I have no idea who on the Fast and Furious it is. But I will throw in one other fun fact that she created her own line during quarantine called Quarantine with 100% of the profits going to COVID. We got a, another fun fact added in. I wonder what what type of wine it was. Do we think red, white? Flavorless is my guess. Yeah. No smells, no taste. It, yeah, it tastes like the COVID vaccine. That would be good. <laughs> well, uh, so no one guessed fact number three, which is that she raised over $37 million in aid for Ukrainian refugees to be relocated following the war breaking out uh, with Russia in 2022. And you guys are correct. In 2022, her and her husband, Ashton Kutcher, they started a GoFundMe page to help with the aid for those who were fleeing the violence uh, from the Russian invasion. And quickly they exceeded their goal to the tune of $37 million. The couple themselves put up $3 million of their own dollars, and the rest was just crowdsourced, which is pretty impressive. She has a uh, quote here, which I really liked, which said, we can't become desensitized. Helping, not even asking, just doing, would be our standard norm. And so when I see a celebrity put their money where their mouth is like that, I feel like it should be celebrated. Fact number one, the descendant of Holocaust survivors, her parents immigrated to the U.S. from the USSR to avoid facing further anti-Semitism, only with 250 bucks to their name is true. It is not about Natalie Emanuel. In 1991, when Kunis was seven years old, her family moved from Ukraine to Los Angeles. 
only with 250 bucks on a religious refugee visa. That was all they were allowed to actually take with them. She very proudly states her parents had great jobs and great degrees, but they just simply weren't transferable and they weren't allowed to bring any additional money with them. So they arrived in New York on a Wednesday and by Friday, her and her brother were at school in LA when they were seven years old. So she didn't speak English, uh, spoke Russian, and it was a tough transition for her. Fact number two, youngest student admitted to the training program at the American Conservatory Theater. She began acting career at the age of nine with a comedy sketch on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. So uh, this was a good guess by you guys. At the age of nine, Kunis did enroll in acting classes, but they were at the Beverly Hills studio where she met her future agent who would uh, get her her first audition, which she landed, uh, which was in a Barbie commercial. But this fact is actually about Brie Larson, who most famously portrays Tess in Fast X and nothing else, who also, at the age of nine, landed her first gig in a Malibu mudslide Barbie sketch. So Barbie connection and age nine connection uh, with Jay Leno. While both of them get their start at the age of nine, within six years, Kunis would land starring roles in that 70s show and Family Guy. So her career blossomed pretty quickly. Those are good, James. Very good. I read the uh, the piece about her that first year in second grade when she was in L.A. in school, and she said it was literally a blur to her. Because she didn't speak English, she had no clue what was going on every day. <laughs> so it's basically a wasted year of educational like attainment for her. Yeah. All right, Case, why don't you tell us a little bit about her snapshot in box office history? She doesn't have an incredibly strong box office snapshot. Outside of the years where she landed in Max Payne, Book of Eli, Date Night, Friends with Benefits, Ted, there's a stretch in there where she's kicking ass and she's doing a great job. Before that, it was very dry. After that, it got very dry. Overall, it's a pretty generic box office snapshot. A couple of highlights. Color of Time has the second lowest world gross at $199. I don't know why it's that low. I didn't have an opportunity to look, but it's $199. Michael Caine had a movie that only made $87. Interesting, her critic rank is very low. It's 90th out of 92. Only Christina Applegate and Laura's favorite J-Lo are lower in fan ranking than her. Her high point is in a movie that Aubrey's going to talk about later, in Black Swan. That movie had a $13 million budget, world grossed $329 million. The last thing I'll say about her, and and I thought this was fascinating, from March 2008 until February 2009, her average IMDb ranking was number one. Big movie after big, they were all spaced out just right, Family Guy, all whatever was going on. I mean, she was just killing it during that year. But specifically getting into her numbers, comparing them to our other performers, average budget, she's ranked 18th. Her total box office rank is 42nd. Star meter is 45, just ahead of Max Van Cito. Critic rank is 83. Fan rank is 90. And then she's 30th and 10th in two different box office Metrics, which, when you get into it, she's ranked 72nd, 72 out of 92. Thoughts? I was looking up cars you could buy for $199, and <laughs> there are none. 
a pinto. <laughs> Even that you, is more expensive. I can tell you if you take your 1998 Ford Taurus to a junkyard, they'll pay you $200 for the parts. So that is what I will say you could buy with that amount of money. There you go. I feel like you could buy the car that Joe Dirt gets from the junkyard and Joe Dirt when he tries to get his Hemi <laughs> for $199. He says, I can give you a car for $200, but I ain't got to be no Hemi. <laughs> James doing the important research, folks. Mm-hmm. A movie making $199 will never not be funny to me. And I want all movies to make a lot of money. That will never not be funny to me. Her score isn't all that surprising, though. No, no. I think for like... People around the age that we are, they would kind of like jump at it at first. But then when you think about it, it makes sense. Mm -hmm. Because like to a segment of people, she is well known. Yeah. That segment of people I feel like is relatively small. Dwindling. Thanks, Case. Appreciate the start. Yeah, man. All right. So the pre-1998 stuff. So because that's where we're going to go to first major role. The early days, James got us started quite well. But some of the other nuggets that are that are out there, she was born Melina Markovna Kunis uh, into her very Ashkenazi Jewish family in Ukraine in 1983. Her grandparents were both Holocaust survivors. They lived the struggle, right? And she speak, spoke fluent Russian when she came to the States. And like James said, you know, started acting at nine years old. And then before too long, she was in several commercials of Barbie, Lisa Frank, things like that. And that kind of got her career started. I mean, that kind of background, and I know I'm jumping way ahead here, but how the hell did she not end up in a John Wick movie? Uh, have you seen her in other films where she has to play acting roles? <laughs> I've got some theories. Outside of commercial, her first legit acting role was in an episode of Days of Our Lives, Little Soap in 1994, so that would have been at the age of 11. And then she was in a TV movie called Piranha in 95. Aubrey, have you seen it? I ran out of time. I was very excited about this. <laughs> uh, I am familiar with some other Piranha-based films. I was very intrigued at the possibilities of what this could be, but I did not make it to this one. So I apologize for letting everyone down. You're a monster movie guy, so I have to go to you for these things. 94, 95, she was in two episodes of Baywatch at the age of 11, which I have questions usually when I see that. Just a little kid in Baywatch, you know, like all kids do at the age of 11 or 12. They're in Baywatch. It's a show that takes place on the beach, Kyle. Kids go to the beach. No one else exists. Almost watched both of these episodes also. Um, Didn't ran out of time also, unfortunately. Aubrey, did you get to Santa with muscles? I was counting on you for that one in 1996. (laughs) Uh, no, I don't do much in the way of Hulk Hogan. Oh, recently. man. I, you guys, I desperately wanted to watch that, but I just I never got around to it. But I wanted to see Hulk Hogan playing Santa. Case, I appreciate the assist in the in the chronological <laughs> timeline here, because that was, that was coming. Because that's before her appearance in Walker, Texas Ranger. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say one of my favorite shows, but who doesn't know about Walker, Texas Ranger? That's an iconic theme song, too. But she did appear in 1997's Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves played a character named jill i did watch honey we shrunk ourselves but i'd seen it before but i hadn't seen it in years it's on disney plus and she plays one of the younger teenage girls who shows up at the party that the sister is hosting and she's got a little backwards hat on very 90s she's cool and it was kind of fun to see her show up at the party because she was like the cool chick but i was like that's cool many many moons ago so these are the little moments we take a step back and and notice 
Then there was Seventh Heaven, four episodes of that in 1996 and 97. Obviously a huge show there in the late 90s, mid to late 90s. And then she played in Gia, as young Gia, uh, a movie we covered on the Angelina Jolie episode. A film where Angelina Jolie plays Gia, and it's kind of like, we talked about like actresses having their biopic role, and that was Mm -hmm. her big one. So she was the young Angelina Jolie. I could see that. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Very heavy movie, but it's a really good movie. And then finally, the last one we'll mention before we get into that 70s show, Krippendorf's Tribe. She played Abby, a movie that also features Natasha Lyonne that I wanted to watch before. It's a Richard Dreyfuss movie. It is a Richard Dreyfuss <laughs> movie. He plays an anthropologist. His wife passes away. He goes into a, like about a depression. And then he misuses grant dollars to like pay for life. And then he makes up a culture, which is shorthand for the names of his three kids. And then he goes on basically a tour of pretending like it's real. And he basically films his kids and himself dressed as these hidden tribesmen from New Guinea. And it's pretty racist. I would bet it does not hold up well. <laughs> and by well, not at all. There's a lot of white people wearing a very dark skinned colors with lots of makeup and extra pieces. As an anthropology student, that's what I studied in my undergrad. I was very interested to watch it. If you blink, you will miss our Lady of the Hour, Mila Kunis. She plays. So the the oldest son is at a talent show. I think he's in late middle school. I think he's like eighth grade. And his showcase is he brings in this hut. And then he tells a story about the Shelmikidmu, this fake tribe. And he says that they have a ritual where they will take a virgin and put her into the hut. And then they will douse her with pig urine. And it turns out that Mila Kunis is the young virgin in the hut. And she has one line in the film. They show her smiling through the little thing. And then she mentions how she didn't get doused with the pig urine. And that is Mila Kunis in Krippendorf's tribe. And y'all are welcome (laughs) for that. More than I was bargaining for, that's for sure. I was watching the meaty rolls for Mila Kunis is really what I'm trying to say. I'm still thinking about the blackface in 1998. (laughs) Just 1998, huh? Uh-huh. We're going to take it to when she was 14 years old, and we haven't done this in a while. We've only done this a few times in Munson's history, and that's the first major role or a big primary role. We went with a TV show instead of a movie, and Case was so excited when he got this. Hold back on his excitement, and that is her role as Jackie in 200 episodes of that 70s show, which started in 98 and ran through 2006. Before you get into her actual work there, I just wanted to say, this is the time in my life where I was in the same room. There's the SAG Actors Conservatory. I don't know if you know what that is, but basically you go and you read for a part. And then in return for reading for the part, the producer and the casting director ask you for feedback on their production. So I went in and I read for this part. I did read for it. I didn't do very good. And uh, I you know, obviously was older than her. While I was there, they said, you did really good. You know, here's some pointers. Lose the Chicago accent. (laughs) And then they said, okay, but this is the girl we're going to cast. And she was right there. Then they had her in a sound booth and they had her practicing, you know, some lines. She was teeny tiny, super skinny and, and short and gorgeous. She just looked amazing. And they said, we want your feedback. Do you think she looks like a 14 year old? Do you think she's pretty, you know, do you think we are picking the right actor? You know, and I'm like, well, if it can't be me, I guess it's her, you know? 
<laughs> she was beautiful and and I know I know I didn't get to meet her. I only got to to give them my feedback on their casting choice. It was pretty pretty incredible to, you know, be in the room with her and then later see her in the room. And especially after finding out she lied about her age. Yeah. You know, for the audition. But I'll I'll give it back to you guys. Eighteen. That's an awesome story. Yeah, it is. That's far more exciting than than the review I'm about to talk about. That's for sure. This feels like an episode of Punked, you know, with the uh, Ashton Kutcher, because I disliked this show so much that I have never thought about it in a probably decade, maybe longer. The only two people that I remembered being in this show are Mila Kunis and Topher Grace. I've been hearing all sorts of talk about the Danny Masterson guy lately. I didn't even remember he was in this. I could care less about this show and him. And it was shocking to me when I was going through and and pulling everything together to kind of reconnect some dots. I can't tell you the last time or the last sitcom that I was truly a fan of. Like, I enjoyed The Office, but I'm not a massive Office fan. I enjoyed Seinfeld. I'm not a massive Seinfeld fan. I don't really like sitcoms. When I say I don't really like them, I don't like them at all. I think they're very corny, and they're hard to watch, and they're hard to be a fan of. And this show reminded me everything that I disliked about sitcoms from the, from the jump. So, I will say this. Jackie Barkhart was 14 years old. Ashton Kutcher took a $10 bet to French kiss her on a scene where he was just supposed to kiss her on the lips. Danny Masterson had all sorts of issues on this show. Laura, you are so lucky to have not been a part of this show because it is riddled with scandal and just shitty things. Specifically for our girl, Jackie Burghart, she plays a very, like, kind of self-absorbed pretty girl who just doesn't have a filter, and she's just kind of that character that I'm going to say whatever I want. If you're wearing an ugly sweater, I'm going to tell you it's ugly. But she does it with enough comedy that it's digestible. It just didn't land with me. And that's that's all I got for you guys. I this was awful. You guys played a funny joke on me. My hat's off to you, all of you. <laughs> and I well I will have my revenge. I'll I'll just put it at that. <laughs> like how long until you were like, I'm done with this. I can't do it anymore. I watched the first two and then I fell asleep and then it was still on, so I watched a little bit more. And then I just watched like a highlight reel of her and it's awful. And then stop it. I can't I can't do this anymore. I can't talk about this anymore. My week has been ruined with with this travesty, this joke that you guys played on me. James, have you ever seen Case so angry at a review ever in 92 episodes? No, nope, I have not. Not a chance. This is the most perturbed he's ever been. Hazing is wrong and you guys know better. It wasn't one of my favorites either, as far as TV shows. I did think her acting was pretty good when you consider she was only 14. She was just starting out. You know, she hadn't been speaking English, you know, that long. I mean, she had, but it was like her first big TV role. So I thought her acting was pretty good. I felt sorry for her. I kind of felt like she was kind of like the child actor, like Brooke Shields, Mm -hmm. where they over-sexualized her in the show. And then when you hear that story about the bet, I don't even know how they got away with some of the stuff they did because now they have um, coordinators for those scenes to keep the actors safe. 
yeah for the intimacy scenes but back then they didn't so you could get groped on set you know when you're doing stuff like that no it was good for her family good for her financially you know and she did a good job with it yeah i've got very little complaints about her and and in fact bringing that point up laura i think she just speaks differently she communicates a little bit differently than everybody else does and i think that helps her get that needed comedic edge like her her character is not pleasant on the surface. Case I also don't enjoy that '70s show. I've seen probably five, six episodes. Never got into it. Never appealed to me. No amount of Kurtwood Smith could get me interested in the show. I thought the mom and dad character were very funny. I thought this was my introduction to Topher Grace, and I found him pretty funny. But uh, I won't defend the show because I wasn't a huge fan. I just found it passable. I've never seen it. You've never seen it, Aubrey? No, I. How do I put this? Uh, just lay it on us. As a person who's watched a lot of Friends, not all of the generic white entertainment made it through. So, like, when this came out, I kind of just was like, oh, this ain't for me. <laughs> this is for, like, a handful of my friends, but this ain't for me. And nothing I've heard ever since it came out till now has changed my mind. You're not wrong. For like a split second when I saw it on the, the Google Doc, I was like, maybe? And I was like, nah. <laughs> so I'll, I'll probably never watch. The fact they created that 90s show is just like excessive as hell. We didn't need it. The 82% is shocking to me. But if Laura had gotten the part, I would have loved the show. I feel pretty good about that. But other than that, I would have bought the box sets. Oh, I would have watched it for sure. I kind of feel like it was for the older generation. Yes. You know, like yeah, some yeah, of the, sure. it was more for the people who were the parents' age. Yes. Yep. All right. Well, let's keep it moving. Please. We talked about the two big TV shows for her. It really happened in the same year back to back. So she takes the role in that 70s show. And then she takes a role as Meg and other voice roles as well over the years on Family Guy. So almost 400 episodes between 99 and 2023. I'm not a huge Family Guy person. I was always more of a South Park guy, but I recognize the cultural significance of being on Family Guy and being one of the regulars on Family Guy for that long. That's a big deal. Good for her nabbing that role. In that 70s show, her average pay was $38,000 per episode. In Family Guy, average of 180000 in the later seasons. Yeah, I was going to say there's uh, almost 400 episodes of Family Guy because she also got part of the merchandise deals as well. And a show that's been on since 1999 and has Mm -hmm. 400 episodes, I think 75 mil is lowballing her net worth. I agree. To James's point about the lowballing, the network estimate I have probably about 140 million. I was like, man, she squandered that money, eh? And I hope we talk about it. The Jim Beam Whiskey Ambassador, that got her a cool 2.5 mil. So she's the shit when it comes to whiskey. <laughs> if the Munson meter put a huge emphasis on sponsorship, she would do very well, but that is not part of my scale. So, All right, fair enough. I wanted to call out too that she had to replace an actor when she went into that, which for, for any actors I know, it's nerve-wracking. Because you're like, well, what did the first person do badly? You know, what? how can I avoid not getting fired from this job? I know they said they told her she had to start talking slower and enunciate more when she auditioned. And she was nominated for an Annie Award during it. But just to think, too, that she was doing that at the same time as the 70s show, right? Mm-hmm. But it was some, you know, crossed over. I can't imagine that the time, because you're on set 
you know, 12, 14 hours shooting that 70s show. I don't know how long her voiceover work. I'm sure she loved not being on camera for that, you know, because she's all dialed up on the 70s show and then she can come in her PJs, you know, and, and uh, record yeah. voiceover. Nice change of pace. She had an on-site tutor because she's in high school. She's 15, 16 years old at this time, trying to do both of these massive jobs. Do we know who she replaced? It's um, Lacey Shaber. Uh, Shaber, yeah. Shaber. Yeah, mean Girls. Shaber. Hi. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, the Willennium hits, so she gets really busy right before the Willennium. I hit it this time. I'm proud of us. Nailed it. Proud of me. And she does the first of a couple music videos. She's an Aerosmith's jaded music video. Jaded. She plays the jaded girl. So that happens. First, like, legit semi-meaty film role was in 2001's Get Over It. She played Basin. Otherwise, a lot of the other stuff she had done to this point had just been really small cameo-type roles in films. Semi-big role. It would have been first major role if we didn't do that 70s show or Family Guy. I told you. And I felt like punishing case. I told you it was a practical joke gone wrong. It's like Chris O'Dowd. You had to do the IT crowd. You can't skip it. That's, that's his first big role so you got to do what you got to do this movie's got a 22 million dollar budget which makes sense because i would imagine she's carrying some weight in hollywood to get her into this movie but it only had a 43.51 speaking of films that did not have great reviews if any of you watched american psycho 2 all american girl she played rachel oh uh, a movie that is one of the corniest and ter- one of the worst productions i've seen in some time wow Poor William Shatner. No, this was bad. She plays someone who studied all these famous serial killers. And then when things start not going her way and being able to get into the FBI, she starts murdering everyone and getting away with it. And no one asks any questions in this movie about what happened. You buried the lead. She murdered someone when she was like 11. Mm -hmm. That's how this started. Who did she murder? Patrick Bateman. The. Yeah. Yeah. The American Psycho. What a, there's no way that guy would have got killed by a little kid. Come on. An 11-year-old holding a pick behind him mm-hmm. for way too long. Like, have some awareness, dude. Come on. That dude likes Huey Lewis in the news. He ain't getting killed by a little kid. Come on. I love this thing. And no one seems to notice that these people are missing for days on end. Like, there's one time... They ask a question about one of the classmates, but she's competing for this internship and everyone else she's competing with keeps dying. Wow. Weird. This podcast prep uh, almost broke me. There were three DNFs on this for me. (laughs) I don't stop movies in the middle because I always try to get to the end. There were three. This was the first one. And I just was like, all right, I'll tap out, you know, keep my energy up for the other ones. I I got out before the black guy died, so thankfully. Uh, that movie was, it's an abomination. Don't watch it. I don't want to be negative. That movie's bad. It's so bad that she even, like, doesn't associate with it. Is it bad because of her? Uh, I'd say partially. I mean, she's not good in it. Nobody was going to save that production. No. Not even Will, Willie Shatner. I'm not going to place this one at her feet. No. At this point in her career, there's no way she's ready to carry this this project, and it's poorly written. So, yeah, I, and I mean, it's a mess. Like it does have a happy ending, though. She does become an FBI agent, so that's exciting. 
Congratulations. Hey, don't spoil it for people. They want to watch it. I didn't finish, Case. I just said that. I know, but I don't want you to. <laughs> it really makes the FBI look like shit. I mean, this this movie, if, if there's ever a case for censorship, it's this movie. I'm not anti that. <laughs> it's an indictment on federal law enforcement. That's what it is. Because they're recruiting from like a tiny university that no one goes to. It's just unbelievable. Well, no one goes there because she murders everybody who goes there. <laughs> That's why. Very important. We've talked about this movie more than anyone has in the history of mm-hmm. any kind of criticism in cinema. If you start with a movie with the premise that a little 11-year-old girl murders Patrick Bateman, you know it's flawed. And it should have just ended there on the writing room floor. But here we are. We get to talk about it 20 years later. Okay, so 2002... You know, maybe before American Cycle 2, maybe after. Who's to know? I didn't I didn't learn this unless James got it dug up somewhere. She starts dating Macaulay Culkin in 2002. And essentially, my understanding is dated him pretty consistently until 2011. So almost a decade with the kid from Home Alone. I just checked in to confirm. Yeah, she did date Macaulay Culkin. Because <laughs> he was such good friends with Michael Jackson, she became friends with Michael Jackson. <laughs> okay. Damn your common law marriage. <laughs> Same year, does an episode of Mad TV. Never was on SNL, from what I could tell. Case, you're our SNL expert resident. I don't believe so. Another music video in The Strokes, The End Has No End. In 2004, she plays Woman. So, an appearance in a music video. Probably her best role. (laughs) Better than the Aerosmith video, (laughs) potentially. 14 episodes of Robot Chicken from 2005 to 2011, alongside Seth Green. A variety of characters and voices in there. That's because that's the nature of Robot Chicken. One little three-minute skit after one little three-minute skit. I don't think this is going out on a limb, but saying she kind of rose to film stardom promise with her role as Rachel in Forgetting Sarah Marshall from 2008. She enters the world of rom-coms with this role. I love this movie. I love this movie, and if I'm having a bad day, I'll watch uh, the video with the Dracula song. That's my favorite part of the movie. That is the best. She was so bubbly and cute and funny. And I thought she did a really good job. I thought they were setting her up to, you know, kind of take over from like Meg Ryan and, you know, that type of, but the younger generation uh, for rom-coms. I thought she did a good job. And I love this movie. It's so good. The Dracula musical scene that he actually performs uh, for my friend's wedding. She had a talent show the night before the wedding. And one of my friends performed the Dracula musical and didn't tell anybody. And it was hilarious to watch it. Truly, truly a work of art to see that be performed live. Legend. And this is after like people get up there That's and pretty good. play the violin really professionally or have beautiful singing voices. And then he gets up and does that performance. I love this movie. thought it was hilarious. I, my wife and I quote the line that Mila Kunis has all the time where it's uh, awesome. Well, why don't you go upstairs and change that shirt and then we'll leave. I say that all the time. I love that line. <laughs> Yeah, I like her sassy attitude in this. And the the character is built in a way, written in a way, where she has to be a little bit of a hot-ass mess. And I buy it. Watch this one for the first time in a long time. I like it. It's a solid movie. I think she's solid in it. This is something I will say again later in this episode. I was much more interested in what Kristen Bell was doing than what she was doing, though. There's more complexity there. I think so. Yeah. But I think that's also part of like my overall kind of takeaway of her and where like her career is kind of gone. There isn't a secondary layer of intrigue. Mm -hmm. It's just the initial stuff. I don't know if I should be saying this in 2023, given everything, but I kind of prefer get him to the Greek over this. 
But given the controversy with Russell Brand and Jonah Hill, I don't know if I should say that. But I find the movie very entertaining, especially with Rose Byrne. Was that a spinoff of this? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mostly because that soundtrack is a banger in Get Him to the Greek. And I have listened to it many, many times. Jonah Hill is hilarious in this movie. <laughs> he has 40-year-old virgin desperate vibes in this movie, for sure. <laughs> so coming off forgetting Sarah Marshall, she decides, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to join an action film in Max Payne. I'm going to play Mona. <laughs> Everything I read about it was just people complaining that she was miscast in this film. But for anybody who has seen it, what are your thoughts? Well, it stars your boy Luda. That's helpful. Back again. It's got to be good. The phrase miscast could be applied to probably 15 different people in this movie. It was an odd project. You know, I think Mark Wahlberg is, is relatively predictable, whether you like him or not. You kind of know what you're going to get out of him. And even even it felt like a stretch for him in, in the way that this, this movie was was created. This is a failed video game adaptation, though, right? Yeah. So that's what I remember about this movie is that the game was a big deal. Yeah. And the movie came out, and the movie was trash, and that's what every that's what I remember everybody being mad yep. about. You could have you could have put a gun to my head. I couldn't have told you Mila Kunis was in this movie. <laughs> and if if we're being honest, I didn't I didn't see the movie, but the game is overhyped. The game was popular because it was the first thing to kind of include like the Matrix version of Bullet Time, and so oh. I was like, oh, that's really cool but the game itself was just okay. It just was incredibly popular. People might look back a little nostalgic on it, but the game itself wasn't that great. Not a movie one either. I know I kind of skipped over it. Did anybody else watch Boot Camp from 2008? I'm going to say nobody in the world did it because that movie had a $14 million budget and world gross 152000 So nobody in the world watched this movie, let alone this podcast. <laughs> It was streaming for free uh, one night, so I decided to watch it. And it's about a, <laughs> and others are a bunch of at-risk teens who get sent to this rehab program on Fiji. The Fiji. Oh, good grief. But it's like a prison camp where their form of intervention is they take these kids and they put them in a big room surrounded by their peers. And then Peter Stormare is like the guy who runs the camp. And then they just yell at them. Like the other kids yell at them and tell them that they're wrong and they did something stupid until they realize it. And then they beat the shit out of them. It's gnarly. I've never wanted a place to burn so so much more than that boot camp there in Fiji because that place sucks. Started to turn around now in that movie. I wish I would have watched it. <laughs> it was interesting to watch them do their little group therapy. I'll say that. Uh, Is she playing like a tough at-risk teen or like a depressed one? Uh, she plays a a rebellious teen. Very rebellious. Ooh, okay. She tries to escape a couple times. She's not somebody who who is very happy to be there put it that way her boyfriend is upset that her parents would send her there and so goes undercover essentially pretends to be a bad kid so he can go there and try to save her from the boot camp and then they sneak away in a boat end up on a different island they're banging it out in a hut and the people find them there like keep going your sex can wait you big dummies every slasher movie i've ever seen says it can't (laughs) <laughs> All right, that's going to take us to our largest critic app, which is 2009's Extract. She plays Cindy and James has it. Extract is a 2009 comedy written and directed by Mike Judge, who personally I think rocks. Mm-hmm. If you haven't watched any of his stuff, I bet you're wrong. I bet you have. So I was excited when I get the opportunity to watch this. I was hoping it would kind of be a hidden gem. 
It has a 62% critic score and a 38% audience score, which honestly for a comedy isn't necessarily that bad. Grandma's Boy has single digits, and I love that movie. So again, high hopes. Uh, the cast for this movie is bananas. It's fantastic. It's Jason Bateman, Mila Kunis, Kristen Wiig, Academy Award winner Ben Affleck, Academy Award winner J.K. Simmons, even Grammy-nominated artist Gene Simmons. <laughs> is it David... Is it Keckner, the guy who Keckner. does wham, yeah. yeah, whammy from uh, um, Anchorman? Great cast. The plot of the movie is an owner of a factory that produces flavor extracts, Jason Bateman. Uh, he seems to have it all, but he really doesn't. What's missing mostly in his life, in his mind anyway, is uh, the amount of sex that he has with his wife, Kristen Wiig. Pretty classic plot device. Bateman hatches a convoluted plan to kind of get his wife to cheat on him, therefore clearing the way for him to have an affair with Mila Kunis, who he has as an employee. Uh, but what he doesn't realize at the moment is that Kunis is a con artist. Freak workplace accident kind of clears the way for her to take advantage of him financially. The talent here involved is, I think, pretty good in their performances, but compared to some of other of uh, judges' films, like, it's just kind of forgettable. I think Extract's first half is good, but it loses steam in the second half, and ultimately it just should have been better. I mean, the cast is good, specifically Affleck, who plays like a space cadet druggy bartender who's friends with Bateman and like consistently gives him the wrong advice, but it's in a funny way. And there's plenty to enjoy, but it ultimately kind of just left me desiring more. I think Kunis does a good job uh, in the first half where they let her be kind of like a sleazy con artist who uses her sex appeal to take advantage of like idiots. And Mike Judge, I think, does a really good job of writing characters like that where, you know, Beavis and Butthead, classic like idiots who a pretty girl could take advantage of. Uh, but at the halfway point, they kind of just like mail in her storyline and she becomes more of like, hey, she's hot, but sympathetic and like, let that go. That was kind of why I, I, I sided more on the audience side of the score. I think there's enough jokes to make it worthy watching one time, but the rewatchability is low. And that's why I'm definitely I'm more towards the audience score, which is like a high 30s. Yeah, 38 to 62 on that split. Yeah. There weren't many critic gap options with uh, Mila Kunis, if you guys couldn't tell. Lots of audience gap options, but not much on the critic gap side. I feel pretty much the same. I think Mila Kunis shines in the very first scene of the movie. And then after that, I agree. After that, I could kind of take or leave the rest of it. The setup just didn't really work for me. I almost felt like there was too much going on. Yeah, I think 40-ish is a perfectly fine one-time watch. I wish it was better. Yeah, same. So I'm many moons ago, but I don't remember much of it. Other than Bateman just being Bateman. Mm-hmm. We'll keep her moving then. A couple roles here before highest critic score. We have The Book of Eli. She played Solara in 2010 alongside Denzel. Not a bad actor, if you ask me. What is your guys' relationship to this movie? Because I'm really interested. And I can explain why after you guys answer. So I really, really liked this movie when it came out. In hindsight and, and past rewatches, I really, really liked Denzel Washington in this movie. <laughs> That's it. I think it's a really cool story, and I thought the twist, first time I watched it, I didn't I didn't see that twist coming at all. But I enjoyed this movie a great deal, and, and I think it's mainly just on the shoulders of being a Denzel Washington fan. I will echo Case's sentiment and say this movie was a guilty pleasure of mine because it reminded me of like late 90s, early 2000 Denzel, which was like a decade prior, where... He's brooding and intense, and the movie's a little cheesy, but you give it that leeway for being cheesy. 
but that was my first go through. And I would say the twist was one of those twists where I was like, oh, super cool. They added another layer to an action movie. This movie is weird because as growing up uh, fairly religious and going to a religious university, this movie was like a big deal for like Christians. It was like a big Christian movie. So when it came out, I was like, oh, this movie's incredible. And that's been my memory because I've only seen it one time, I think. So I just don't know how well it resonated outside of those circles that I was in. It When I say it was a big deal, it was a huge deal. Like this, people talk about this movie for a long time. And so rewatching it, I was very disappointed. <laughs> this movie's not great. Denzel is awesome. As always, there, I will never give Denzel slander. He's awesome. Yeah, The movie is is odd. I will say they set up the twist pretty well, so you're watching it again and you kind of know what's going on with him. It's played throughout pretty well. I don't remember Mila. How How is she in her role? She's not very good. She kind of plays like a whiny, like, I don't really know what's going on. I'm naive type person. And it's supposed to be this turn to where she becomes him essentially she's yeah. supposed to become him like there's not another one of these tells you kind of how that went yeah i thought she was pretty bad all throughout it wasn't just like oh you're not denzel talking because usually that can happen where like someone is acting alongside denzel and you're just like i don't like you because you're not denzel <laughs> she just wasn't very good who was the main bad guy and i usually like him oldman Gary oldman even he's kind of off and on Denzel scenes. They don't give him enough to do. No. His character is compelling because it's like he's the only one that understands the importance of the thing Denzel is car- carrying. Yeah. And so as a villain, you've created a scenario where the character is in a good position. They just don't do anything with that position. So they don't, there's not enough Gary Oldman. Kristen Stewart was offered the role of Solera that Mila Kunis plays, and she turned it down for whatever major blockbuster franchise she ended up being. So, Twilight. Twilight, there you go. So, I'm a huge Kristen Stewart fan, and so I say this as a huge Kristen Stewart fan, but I think that she would have been significantly better in this position, in that role. Yeah, I think that's fair. That's right up her alley, I think. I don't think action is Mila's bag. At least hasn't demonstrated it. That's spoken like a man who's seen Jupiter ascend. <laughs> Same year, a film we talked about kind of briefly on the on the Steve Carell episode, and that's Date Night. But I remember you guys spoke very highly of it, so I made sure to go out of my way to watch it. And this was movie number two that I found thoroughly enjoyable to watch. Ooh. Yes, Mila Kunis is not in it very long. She's really in one extended scene in the middle of the film with James Franco as kind of uh, they're criminals. It's kind of a jolt in the middle of the film when they pop up out of nowhere, just as quickly as they come, they leave pretty, pretty swiftly after that. She's great. Like top three of my favorite performances that she's given. And by top three, I mean, shit might be my favorite thing that she's done. And I don't even mean this in like a backhanded compliment type of way. That scene is incredible. And she's really good in it. That movie's also that movie is awesome. I rewatched it for this. I've, I'll watch that movie any chance I get an opportunity to, and it's awesome. Steve Carell is a perfect cast for the role too. He's just he fits very very well. It's better than it has any real right to be. It's got a heart to it. It has something that it's trying to say. It's got a clear point of view, and it's really funny. And every super funny person that shows up is also really funny. 
Because there's just a ton of really funny people just peppered all throughout it. Bill Burr plays a detective, one of his earliest film roles. Yep. And one of the guys who saved the Earth from the from NASA, William Fickner. Very important for our Canadian listeners to know. J.B. Smoove has a hilarious cameo. Mm-hmm. Mark Wahlberg is shirtless in every scene he's in. It's a great movie. That's where Max Payne went wrong. They didn't have him shirtless enough. <laughs> he wasn't making burgers quite yet, so just didn't work out. Her first of many times working with James Franco, too, which, you know, Danny Masterson, James Franco, there might be a theme there. She seems to work in, like, problematic dudes. Choose to interpret that however you decide, but it's going <laughs> to go into my Munson meter. But let's get to the big one. Yeah, This is the highest critic score. And highest critic score was not Jupiter Ascending. I know you are all truly shocked at that. Uh, but it is Black Swan. She plays Lily from 2010. Her one and only, like, somewhat prestigious awards nomination. I guess, like, at the big bodies, a Golden Globe nom for this. But otherwise, none of the other big ones we normally talk about. And the SAG Awards, too, she was nominated for. For this role or for a different one? Yeah. Okay, yeah. For this role. This is her big, like, award-worthy role, She's or the one that she's been noticed. So Aubrey has it. So this is 2010. Darren Aronofsky-directed film. Stars Natalie Portman, Mila Kunis, Vincent Cassell. It's about Nina, a ballerina who is kind of on the verge of stardom in Swan Lake, is what I think the actual production is called. And she's getting pushed to a breaking point by the director played by Vincent Cassell. And just by the pressure of the moment. And so what Aronofsky does is kind of blends the surreal with the real in a way that I find really compelling. This movie is is just masterfully done. I'm in awe of this movie. I've seen it probably five or six times. And every time I'm just in awe of it because of what Aronofsky is able to do. It's just this, this wonderful ball of just like chaos that blends perfectly this is a movie that should be studied because of how good it is in terms of every single element natalie portman is a god in this movie what she has to get (laughs) off is incredible one of my favorite performances i've ever seen is natalie portman in this i just think this movie is incredible every single beat what it says about anxiety what it says about stress what it says about the desire to be great what it says about the pressures that that puts on there good and evil, all of it. Everything that this movie has to say, I think it's one of those things that Aronofsky does that I personally enjoy into where it really feels like a it's like a piece of art. So any interpretation is a welcome interpretation and any theme that you can attach or associate to it is a welcome one. I love that he's able to do that and he's able to do it in a movie that's as confined in how it's telling its story as this one. Mila Kunis, this is the best movie that she's in. I guess this will be controversial. I don't think she's overly great. But I also think she's standing next to two giants. She's got to work across from two people who are at the top of their game. And I don't think she has that gear. Because she's not going to match what she's going up against. I think she does the part that she's meant to do well. And I think she's casted purposefully. To not take away spotlight from the other two essentially in that sense yes but also in the sense of like the thing that she's called on to do is something that makes sense for her to be called on to do i don't think it's a great performance though 
I just think she is in a great movie and she doesn't detract from the greatness of the movie. And I don't mean that to sound negative, but I think this movie's perfect and I love it. I think it's just refreshing that she was in something this heavy and, and wonderful after all the comedies yeah. and the lighthearted films. And you wouldn't expect her in this. And I think that's kind of why maybe she was nominated so much, even though she was in a supporting role and, and like you said, didn't take away from Natalie, but kudos to her for taking on something this meaty, you know, big. Yeah, just be a role player in that space, right? Like, I need you to just do the job. <laughs> the film is not about your character. You're you're part of the plot, right? But I need you to do the job. Yep, stand in the corner, shoot threes. <laughs> you're a wing player on this one you're not the point guard the offense not going through you in and of itself that's a skill and when you could if you if you take into consideration where she's at culturally at this moment even asking her to do that is is somewhat bizarre because she is asked to essentially take the backseat mm-hmm. she is a she is an object of desire so that part makes sense but she is asked to take the backseat and being able to do that Let's say something. I don't mean any negativity towards her when I say what I say about her in this. I just think it's impossible to judge her up against what Natalie Portman's doing because it's just God tier what she's doing. Not every actor can do that. I mean, think of like Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey could not do that. Just be the second fiddle mm-hmm. to somebody else taking the spotlight. It just wouldn't be possible. Yep. I think too, this role was probably the hardest on her body. You know, she said she had to lose mm-hmm. 20 pounds and she had to yeah. work out, you know, for extensive amount of time and learn how to dance. And she had some bigger injuries from because of the film. Yeah. She tore a ligament, injured her shoulder and got all sorts of cuts and scars on her back. I saw this movie in theaters around Christmas time with my mom and dad. Very Christmas. There's a scene in this movie in which Natalie Portman is masturbating to a vivid sex dream that she is having, and then is startled awake by her own mother. And I had to sit in between my parents while experiencing that. Now, I was an adult when this movie came out, but I also felt like I was 13 again watching a sex scene with mom and dad. It was truly haunting experience for me uh, personally. Did no one warn you? James, your stories about the film's that you go to with your family just brings me life. They want to go to the movies. I love the movie going experience. I know I'm in the minority with that. And so when they say, yeah, let's go, I was like, absolutely, let's go. It's supposed to be a scary movie. I love scary movies. You just don't expect such like a graphic sex scene. And I'm, I'm squirming next to my mom and dad. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> At least your family member didn't abandon you this time. So that's important. Yeah, that's true. 2011, this is about the time where like every publication lists her in their like top 100 sexiest people as she's like on top of the world. So the one I noted was she she was GQ's knockout of the year in 2011, along with many other. You name the outlet who does a sexiest person thing in 2011, 2012. She's probably listed even up to the point of like 2021, 2020. She was still getting listed or is getting listed in those. So. You know, apparently people apparently find her very attractive and we'll put her in print because of it. So it goes to say something about pop culture relevance at that moment. And then the third film that Kyle really enjoyed watching, who I'd never seen before, and that was Friends with Benefits. She plays Jamie from 2011. I really like her character in this movie. I like it was different than a lot of stuff I've seen her in. I appreciated how she's just very sarcastic and I like how quick she is to just give JT shit. It was just entertaining to watch her character go back and forth with Justin. Because Justin Timberlake's not the best actor in the world. And so, like, 
comparatively dy- dynamics wise she looks incredible next to him in any scene but i just like the way her character was written and the way she played out that person those personality traits that was just me though i agree their chemistry carries this those two together are really good everything we've talked about up to this point makes you feel like this is like right in her wheelhouse mm-hmm. i i think she thrives in this type of role i mean it's tropey it's a rom-com by the book in a lot of ways do you know what it's you know what's coming but can you deliver on what we know is coming If she had more straight rom-coms like this, I think we'd be having a different conversation. Mm -hmm. Because one of the things I like about this movie is there was a a dry period in rom-coms where they got too self-aware. I like romantic comedies. I I love romantic comedies. As cheesy as they can be, there was a a period where they got very self-aware. And it was just like, isn't this stupid? And they're almost like making fun of love and romance, which... Mm-hmm. that netted a bunch of really bad romantic comedies this one was in that time and it was able to walk that line really well and i think a large part of that is because of her character because mm-hmm. she's this like romantic but they don't lean too far into it no and so she's like this kind of like modern romantic that's a little bit jaded but like still has this desire for these big sweeping romantic stories and it ends up playing really well with the self-awareness of a movie that is, you know, making fun of romantic comedies while being a romantic comedy. Yeah. And I like the side characters. I like Patricia Clarkson as like the zany mom. I really like Richard Jen. I, anything Richard Jenkins is in, I'm paying attention. That guy's a really good actor. And then Woody Harrelson as the gay guy in the office, <laughs> who I believe he says uh, cock gobble at one point in time. He is so funny. And it doesn't really work. Like, you don't buy him as the gay coworker, but his ability to commit to the line reads, I appreciate. I just like Woody Harrelson, so it works. But I'll, I've said this as a pejorative, and I don't mean it this time. Uh, he's in a different movie yeah. than the movie that everyone else is making, but it's in the best way. And the Sean White parts make me laugh so hard because Sean White goes so hard in the pain. Hilarious. I think that's often the case for Woody Harrelson. He's all often in kind of his own mm-hmm. part of a movie within a movie. I guess this was my second Jenna Elfman viewing because she was also in Krippendorf's tribe. So I got that going for me too. As I look at the casting list. And then I believe Christina told me she said of the two movies that came out at the same time that were like this, it's the better of the two. Because the other one's with what Ashton and Natalie Portman. No strings attached, right? No strings attached, right, yeah. I haven't seen No Strings Attached, so I don't know. Because Natalie Portman did Black Swan. She didn't have nothing left. <laughs> <laughs> 2012, she gets a Critic Choice, I think, award or nom. One of the two. I, I don't, couldn't really tell. But Ted, she plays Lori alongside Mark Wahlberg again in a teddy bear voiced by Seth MacFarlane. So that, I think that's probably the connection there with Family Guy with, with Seth for so long. But funny movie, made a shitload of money. Very successful film. I really like this movie. There's so much about it that I would normally hate. And for whatever reason, it really works. Mm-hmm. She's more or less inconsequential to how I feel about the movie. Yeah. Because I really just like the Ted Mark Wahlberg stuff. But the movie's really good. Hey, didn't this make like $550 million? Yeah. I mean, it's moolah. But it also carried a $50 million budget. So Mark and Mark don't just roll out of bed for nothing. Yeah, her big two box office returns are... Ted at $550 million, and then Oz at $493 million. Oz the Great and Powerful made that much money? Uh-huh. What did Bad Moms make? 
Because I would have considered that being one of her bigger ones. Because they rolled that sequel out within a year. Bad Moms made $184 million. Mm. And then The Christmas, $131 million. She's been in some movies that have made some money. For sure. But Ted making five fifty is crazy. Mm-hmm. Five fifty. It's a lot of cash for a, a movie about a talking teddy bear. Mm-hmm. Mila's very popular. Wahlberg's very popular. And Seth MacFarlane is very popular because of Family Guy. You put those three things together in a raunchy comedy, you've got commercial success. Boom. That's capturing a really specific type of angst <laughs> for a really specific type of man at that time. Mm-hmm. I know where a lot of that $550 million came from. And it's <laughs> the same age guy going and watching that movie six or seven times. It came from Southie, South Boston. That's where it came from. <laughs> and it's no judgment. But we go from a, a high to a low, and that is lowest critic score was The Color of Time, a movie we did talk about with Jessica Chastain, just not to this level. Uh, she plays Catherine, and Laura has it as our guest Munson. First off, I just want to say I love independent films. I love artsy films. I love oddball films. I did not know what this film was about before I watched it because I wanted to just go in with a blank palette and, you know, see what it is. But I got through, I wrote it down, the 817 movie. But the 817 mark of the movie, I said, what the hell is and and why is it so slow moving and what is happening and get me out of here. This movie was 2012 American independent film. And and once I read how it was made, then I had a little more respect for it. But it was written and directed by 12 different New York University film students. And James Tranko was the teacher. So if I had to compare it to an artsy college film, I'd give it a C. If I had to compare it to normal theatrical releases, I'd give it a D. And that's probably why it made so little money. You know, it did premiere at the Rome Film Festival. I thought it had an amazing cast. It had Franco, Chastain, Zach Braff, Bruce Campbell. I have to tell you, Bruce Campbell sparkled. When he came on the scene, he was only on there for like three minutes. And because everything was so slow moving and then he came on, he was like, Hey, you know, like, and he, he was like lively and energetic. I was like, we need more of him. Don't go case for the, for the future Bruce Campbell Halloween episode. He's, he's taking notes. Of course he sparkled. You know, it's a dreamlike film about Pulitzer prize winner, Charles Kenneth Williams. So they have his poetry throughout the movie and his poetry is really nice. I, I, I really enjoyed his poetry. But it had a lot of flashbacks, different time frames. It started in the 40s and 50s. Then it went to present time. Then it would go back, back and forth. Mila plays his wife, Catherine. And there's not a whole lot of meat to play there. It was kind of like she's just your all-around wonderful wife. She was empathetic, caring, nurturing, playful, thoughtful, but not a whole lot to work with there. I would probably give her like a B plus for her acting, but not a lot to do there. Except, she, you know, she looked beautiful and she she looked very mothering. And so this movie kind of goes through his boyhood anxiety, his, his teenage years experimenting with drugs, his first sexual experiences, his parental issues. There's a lot of mommy issues in this. There's a lot of foot fetish <laughs> scene where they're like, Zoning in on a, on, on a lot of shoes intensely, but it felt like very self-indulgent, very artsy. 
And it just really didn't have a good story. It didn't, you didn't really care about the characters. Felt like a bunch of just vignettes tied together that didn't really work well together. The Rotten Tomatoes score was 5% based on 21 reviews. The average score was 3.7 out of 10. It felt like to me too many cooks in the kitchen, you know, with, with no real solid story to care about. And I just kept saying, what the heck? I would pause it and go, what the heck? Like, you know, come on, this this thing can move faster and, and can be more interesting. I'm going to say this, I hate to say this, but if you need to fall asleep, watch this movie. <laughs> this will be like your NyQuil. Sleeping pill. It will. I'm going to go there. <laughs> Those are my thoughts, unfortunately. Given the context of the film, that it was a bunch of NYU students who created I'm honestly shocked they got that much like A-list talent into the film. I know. That's what's most shocking to me. Franco asking for personal favors is what I hear. Yeah. And that concept is amazing. You know, that seems like an amazing concept, but they needed a better story. The good news is you only had 65 minutes left of movie because this film is only 73 minutes long. (laughs) I bet it felt longer than 73 minutes long. It did. 5%. That's a low one. That's a, that's in that's in well deserved lowest critic score territory and only eighteen percent from fans. Yeah, not much better. And that eighteen percent is from them. Those twelve writers, they <laughs> they <laughs> and they maybe gave it a five or six at best because they're like not our best work. I would think it was pretty cool that my project got released as a major movie with all these stars. Yeah, I'm very happy for those students, and it may not have been a good watch, but I'm happy that they had that opportunity. Yeah, they got the full filmmaking experience. They got to work with like great actors. That's exactly all right. The anticipation of all that big major release at the Rome Film Festival, and then they got the shit kicked out of them by critics, roasted by critics and fans. I love it. Full circle. Full circle. 2012, big year for her. So she signed with Dior to do some yeah. some sponsorship types of things. And she also started dating that Ashton Kutcher guy that she did uh, the acting things with on that 70s show. They got married in 2015, and they had two kids together in 2014 and 2016. So they're doing the whole family thing. And they seem happy, minus when they're having to apologize for Danny Masterson and really manufacturing their home in what appears like a poor area of their home like most PR firms would recommend that they do. I just... <laughs> if you're listening, Case Case is shaking his head with disgust and disbelief. I just don't understand why Ashton Kutcher is a massive star. Smarter people than me obviously have, so I, I tip my hat to you, sir. You, uh, you have fooled everybody. I've got some theories, but that's a, a different podcast. <laughs> Big age difference in his dating uh, profile there. And a handsome white guy gets you far in life. I was going to say what Aubrey said. He's a very attractive, nice man, and that's pretty easy to get through life. Isn't he from Iowa? Is that why Rigby decided to not do this episode? Because he didn't want to be a part of the Ashton Kutcher (laughs) beating? He is from Iowa, correct. (laughs) You knew it was coming. That film that uh, Case talked about earlier that made a ton of money, which I honestly am shocked, but the uh, Oz the Great and Powerful, she played Theodora slash Wicked Witch of the West. Yeah, you know I watched this, and I watched it for one reason only. Michelle Williams kills in this movie. She looks amazing. She looks amazing. She does. She tries way harder than everyone else is trying, which makes me sad. This movie's not great, but it's also not terrible. This movie could have been really good. There's a lot of really good stuff in here. Mila Kunis has an interesting thing that she is asked to do. 
you know, Rachel Weiss is not asked to do a, a bunch of interesting things, which is odd because she's amazing. Uh, Michelle Williams has a very specific assignment that she's asked to do. She's amazing. James Franco lets this movie down for me. I think he's actively bad in this. Mm. He's like doing this theatrical Wizard of Oz thing, and he's doing way too much. And so everything seems so much more heightened. It's a Sam Raimi movie, huh? That's interesting. That's what I'm saying. There's good stuff in here. There is really good things in this movie. But again, the takeaway, everyone that can hear me, students that are still listening to me, the takeaway, Michelle Williams is great in this movie. And you should watch more Michelle Williams movies. That's my review. Bruce Campbell also makes an appearance in this too, but that's Sam Raimi, so it makes sense. How is Cunis playing a double role? It's not great. I think what the character has to go through is a little bit more interesting than the way that she plays it. It's part of one of the reasons why the movie... The movie could be really good, but but she's one of the reasons it doesn't really get there. Okay. Part of it is that it's just not written all that well, but her getting from where she's at in the beginning to where she gets to in the end... It's not great. I think we're sensing a trend and a theme where there may not be enough layers to her acting, but she also isn't taking projects that really give her a ton to play with. Yeah. This is the sense I've gotten so far. Yeah. 2014, she did an episode of Two and a Half Men. More Ashton Kutcher. Annie, alongside Cameron Diaz in 2014. Diaz, she played Andrea. That movie sucks. You were on the Cameron Diaz episode, weren't you? Mm-hmm. I didn't watch that specifically because I watched it last time, and I'm still mad at you guys for that. <laughs> Aubrey, do you remember her role in this movie? Nope, I don't remember. The movie sucks. She's in a like a fake movie with Ashton Kutcher. <laughs> oh. That is either they're watching or there's a preview or something, but they're in like a fake movie that the limited amount of research I did for this that particular role, it sounded like it was comedically or, or humorously well-received. So what was the better fake movie, this that one or the Jason Segel, Rashida Jones one from Friends with Benefits? Oh, I mean, Rashida Jones. So. I don't remember the Mila Kunis movie, but I would give it to the Mila Kunis movie because the fake Rashida Jones movie was like shockingly bad. <laughs> it was awful. <laughs> Intentionally so. And like uh, not in a funny no. way, though. It was weird. No. Speaking of movies that are very, very bad, Jupiter Ascending. She plays Jupiter in 2015, a movie we really don't need to talk about other than you don't go watch it. It's a very failed attempt at an action sci-fi film that hurts to know exists. A second of three DNFs. It's a rough one, man. You're playing at home, guys. This is when you take the shot. Second of my three DNFs. This movie was, I stopped with like 45 minutes left. And you had to pay for it too, right? This isn't streaming free anywhere, is it? Uh-huh. Yep. I would have paid to stop it. Would have paid an additional $4 to stop it from happening to me. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty bad. Her and Channing Tatum are the uh, the two main characters. And again, action, sci-fi, just really not her jam. No, but I will say this in the positivity note of this, because I do want to be somewhat positive here. It was really nice seeing Sean Bean. He was great. I do like Sean Bean. He was great. <laughs> well, we're just going to be a negative Nancy's about that. And I'm not going to be negative Nancy about these next two films because I know Aubrey and I are like the Bad Moms fan club. Really enjoy Bad Moms. And I especially enjoy Bad Moms Christmas and a lot of crossovers here. The first one with Christina Applegate and the second one with Applegate, Sarandon and Christine Baranski. I will forever say that Bad Moms Christmas is casting gold. They cast everyone perfectly in that film. Christine Baranski's sassy self is and being an asshole works fantastically. 
Susan Sarandon is a crazy, out of control, wild woman, works really well. Kristen Bell, Mila Kunis. I can't say enough good things about those two movies. Highly recommend. These movies are good, man. Watch these movies. Kunis is, is, is an executive producer. On the Christmas one. The stories run through her. She's the main of the three, yeah. too, at least in my perspective, of the three main characters, Catherine Hahn, Kristen Bell, and her. It is Mila Kunis and Jay Hernandez's relationship that is the main story. This is one of the main, my one, my main takeaway from watching this again. Because what I noticed, and I'll say this a little bit later about Mila Kunis, is I've never really thought about her as an actor very often. So watching a lot of these movies again... I'm analyzing her in a different way. And this is one of them. I had seen Bad Moms a handful of times. I enjoy this movie a lot. I think this movie is like, he is critically received well and becomes a much better movie if Kristen Bell is playing Mila Kunis's role and Mila Kunis is not in this movie. Mm. Because I think what Kristen Bell has as an actor, because I think Kristen Bell has layers as an actor and she's able to, to achieve multiple different places and do multiple different things while also being very funny. I think she carries that this movie much better than Mila Kunis does. I think Mila Kunis does a serviceable job. This is not a, a major slight on her. She does fine. I just think Kristen Bell, just watching it this time, I'm like, man, what would this movie be if Kristen Bell was there? And I think it would be a much better movie. Disagree with you. But also, these movies are great. Watch them. Christine Bransky is a legend and she just absolutely destroys that second movie <laughs> in all the best ways. It's her version of Christmas. Doesn't matter what her daughter wants. <laughs> yeah, like, I enjoy Eunice as the lead in these. Was it Applegate? Is the mom is like the head of the the PTA in, yeah, in the first yeah. one? I, yep. I thought she did a good job of, of playing off of her and really creating the character you wanted to you wanted to like, even though she's kind of a little bit rough as a mom. So I, I enjoyed her in these roles. The Spy You Dumped Me, she played Audrey. Of, I think it was the first movie I watched and very forgettable uh, outside of some lines from Kate McKinnon. And so I do not recommend it to people. The movie's not good. I saw this in theaters. The movie's not good. That was a mistake. And support your movie theaters, guys. Go to the movie theater. <laughs> the day is from 2020. Of all the role choices, she takes a turn and decides to play a drug addict in this film, which... If you expect us for the last two hours to be talking about Mila Kunis, it's not the type of role you would probably expect her to be stepping into playing. I watched it for this. I think this movie is okay. And it's mainly okay because the subject matter is one that is hard to kind of trash. It's, it's hitting the beats and it's doing the things. I think it is not written the best. This shows the the limitations of of Mila Kunis as an actor. She can't really get to the spots she's got to get to here. The depth that's required for this, this level of character. I just never felt like it, it created, it, it, there wasn't the gravitas you're looking for, for this type of, mm -hmm. of, of affliction that somebody's dealing with. And she's acting alongside a legend in Glenn Close. Yeah, who's really getting after it. I don't think it's the best Glenn Close performance, but she's really going for it. Mm-hmm. Even if it's not the best performance, it definitely does. It definitely is something you still have to try and match. Gravitas is the, is the per you described it perfectly. That's what this movie lacks. She's the main feeling of this, this film and she doesn't bring it. I would say to our listeners, go watch it. If you're interested in Mila Kunis in her career, you should definitely watch this movie because it's very different from anything else she's ever done in her career. And so I give her, I give her credit for trying something unique as Laura would say, 
like, hey, you went out of your bag. You tried something unique. I mean, props to her. It was at Sundance. It's definitely like an indie level film. It didn't really land. Would you call it ambitious? <laughs> her choice is, is, yeah. The film, no. Her choice, yes, is ambitious. Yeah, the film, not really. It's not that surprising, but you need more critic app movies to be very more ambitious and to use that word often. This is not the actress for that. No, but it is a risk, and she does step outside of herself for it. And, you know, I I always applaud big swings, and she takes a swing. She does one episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm in 2020, and then another music video in Ariana and Justin Bieber's Stuck With You. She played herself in that one. And that's going to lead to our last review, which is the one that Rigby dumped off on me. I'll tell you about this guy. Can I give you my impression of Rigby? Course. This movie sucks. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me tell you, your interpretation of Rigby is, from what I saw, not incorrect. So <laughs> the movie's called Breaking News in Yuba County. She plays a character named Nancy. It is our largest audience gap from 2021. Just to give you a quick round on the numbers here, which makes it largest audience gap. The split is essentially 45 to 11. So critics really did not like it, and even audiences didn't like it much. But here's the plot. It stars Allison Janney, former Munson, right? Fantastic actress that we've covered. Now one of her best roles. A lot of it has to do with the writing, but again, it's also some of the her choices. But she plays a woman who is taking advantage of her growing celebrity status when the police and the public think that her dead husband is just missing. Basic gist is... Her husband is played by Matthew Modine. She doesn't realize until she shows up to a motel that he is cheating on her. He then like dies. He literally has a heart attack while he's balls deep on a woman in a really gross motel. Really gross way to describe it as well. Very accurate way of describing it. It's a very gross scene. It's it's a very accurate way to describe it. The woman's one of her breasts are out during the scene and she asked her to put it back in, but the captions covered it, which I thought was hilarious <laughs> on the version I was watching. <laughs> but instead of reporting it, she decides not to. And then she starts to have this growing celebrity as she manipulates her way to get her, her and her husband's story into the news. The character's awful. Like the, the, the fundamentally her character is a terrible person. And yeah, she is getting gaslit pretty hardcore by her husband at the start of the movie, but like it still doesn't redeem the character in any way, shape, or form because it's awful. I'm going to be honest, I only made it through about two-thirds of this before I literally ran out of time. I was sitting in the other room watching this before we recorded because my life has been crazy, but I don't think I'm missing a ton. I saw Mila Kunis in three scenes. She plays Nancy. She's like a reporter, I think. I don't know. I didn't get far enough in to be able to figure that out. But apparently the role was officially supposed to be Laura Dern's role and then Mila Kunis stepped in mm. that probably would have been a better casting choice than to be in complete honesty and there wasn't much to examine in the three scenes I saw her in Regina Hall plays a detective so that perks Case up because Case loves Regina Hall uh, not Case don't watch this one she's got a mullet so that's interesting Aquafina plays like a baddie in this and then there's like this really weird camera shots like there's zoom ins during the, especially when in the like the death scene they do these zoom ins that just make it feel really dr- melodramatic and like almost like a TV movie at times. But Wanda Sykes is also in a case. So I'm telling I'm giving you names you really like of African American women that are actresses that you love. <laughs> Wanda Sykes is funny, but she's always funny. Yes. She's not very funny in this though, from what I saw either. So I don't know how the movie ended. 
And I don't know if I actually want to know, so don't tell me, Aubrey. But, I mean, it's hard to say I can score this movie because I didn't finish it. But I would say I'm going to be probably in the 20 to 30 range if I had to guess if I finish it. <laughs> I can't tell you how it didn't because I didn't finish it either. This is DNF number three for you? DNF number three. It was an expensive round of DNFs for me because I had to rent this one too. Because <laughs> for whatever reason, it kept saying it was on Paramount Plus, but it wasn't on Paramount Plus. Mila Kunis is, this is not a movie that I would judge anything of her career on. No. Uh, some of the other people, maybe. Regina Hall is not very good in this, and it's sad. Mm-hmm. Clifton Collins is not very good. As Bomani Jones, my one of my favorite sports commentators would say, this movie is Cheeks. Do not watch this. It's not going to be good for your score when we've said many, many times, please do not watch this. We do not recommend. Just watch Bad Moms. Coming off a Max Von Cito episode, we're like, you you should definitely watch it. You should definitely go watch that. Watch everything that man has done. Even Strange Brew, even the silly ones. You're like, yes, go watch that. You will love it. Let's wrap it up. Last couple things here before we get into top performances. We've got in 2022, Time Magazine named her part of their 100 most influential people in the world, which again goes to show pop culture relevance, philanthropic work. That was actually kind of surprising to me. I I guess I didn't realize that she was still so in the spotlight in 2022, but Time Magazine was like, you actually are donating a lot of money or doing a lot of good for the world. That was against my bias, which I thought was interesting. $37 million, Kyle. Mm -hmm. Real numbers. It's a big deal. Worth something. On the, on the months of meter. Kyle, when's the last time you donated $37 million to anything? I mean, no, I'm not going to say what I'm going to say. So oh we're boy. just going to move on. <laughs> Please don't. Thank God. And then 2022, most recently, she was played Annie in a movie called Luckiest Girl Alive, which I believe premiered on Netflix, if I'm not incorrect. I watched this movie, and I will say that she, I think, does well in it. And she is not what I disliked about this movie. I think she does pretty well with what she's given here. She is like a sharp-tongued New Yorker. It's queerly adapted from a book, which everyone here knows I hate. (laughs) But when he is doing the narration of it, she's good. It's sassy. It's self-deprecating. It's uh, She is talking about herself in a negative light and kind of how her life is a facade. And it approaches really heavy topics. And my... yeah. Criticism of this movie is twofold. One, I think it is, I think the book was popular because it was the first book to mainstream tell exactly how poorly sexual assault cases are handled in our country. And then it also tied in school shooting, which are two very hot button issues. However, in the movie, it plays like the writer of the book just copy and pasted the book into the movie and it does not flow very well and it is very jarring. And it takes you out of it. And about halfway through, I was like, all right, I, I, this is kind of a chore to watch at the moment. But none of that was because of her. I thought she did very well in the movie. I think I was like jaded to quote her music video background with some of the other stuff I watched. I'm glad you did, James. I'm glad you, you, you went down that route for us. If you look at the scores online, like... The people who are giving it a high score are referencing the subject matter that it's approaching mm-hmm. and not referencing the movie. And that's why I think yeah. the score is so high where they're like, yeah, this is an accurate portrayal of school shootings and sexual assault cases and how poorly they are handled. And then when it gets to the movie and they're like, and Mila Kunis did well. I was like, yeah, but the movie's not good. 
Yeah, you're like, but was it a good story in film format? And then last few things, she makes that appearance on that 90s show. I know when they originally announced that it was going to be a thing, they were like, we might make a cameo, but that's it's really for a different audience, right? And then we obviously have the Danny Masterson apology tour that they'd go on recently because they wrote letters to the judge to say how of an upstanding citizen he was. And then it turns out he's not. Some could criticize and say, you don't need to write those things. They were obviously friends with this guy for a long time, being on that show with him. So it makes you wonder how much did they know, blah, blah, blah. Maybe they didn't. Who knows? But not a great look for them regardless. And the irony of her last film, The Luckiest Girl Alive, dealing with some of the subject matter that they weren't defending that with him, but they were defending somebody who was accused of those things was Mm -hmm. a little bit off-putting. Okay, well, we've reached the uh, mountaintop, as we always like to say. Mm-hmm. Mountaintop? We're at the top of a hill of some kind. <laughs> okay. I don't know how high the hill is, elevation-wise, but Case, I believe you are going to take the mantle of talking about top performances. What do you got? Kyle, just so you know, my limits of hyperbole only go so far, so to say mountaintop, I just <laughs> I can't let that go. But I was able to classic, classic website, comingsoon.net, this list is from December of 2018, and it is titled The Five Best Mila Kunis Performances. You're saying it doesn't include Luckiest Girl Alive. Shame. Probably not. Nope. Is that is that a, an official guess or not? No. Black Swan. Black Swan is on there. Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Forgetting Sarah Marshall is on there. Friends with Benefits? Friends with Benefits is on there. Laura, come on. It's your turn. Ted? Good answer. Good answer. Ed is not... Oh! Oh! Balls. Bad Moms. Bad Moms is on there. Ooh, one more. I like this list. Is it just films or? No, films and TV. Oh, that's 70s show. That 70s show. No. What? Are you are you kidding me? <laughs> family Guy? Yes, Family Guy. You you earnestly said that 70s show. Kyle, I'm taking away points from you on the Munson meter tonight. <laughs> Dude, it's a popular show. That's just because I don't like it. It's not popular. Let's let's quit. That's fake news. Not listed in any particular order. Forgetting Sarah Marshall, Friends with Benefits, Black Swan, Bad Moms, Double Feature, Greg Griffin in The Family Guy. I like that list though. D- despite all contrary, it's a. I think it's all encompassing of her best roles. Good list. Yeah, I agree, and I think it's telling in that. And normally we're we're just rifling through names trying to get caught up. And so it kind of tells you that the amount of standout films and, and TV shows she's been in are a little bit limited mm-hmm. compared to other people we've covered. I agree. Let's get into the Munson meter. What we do, we rate every actor on a scale of zero to 100 rate a, based on a variety of factors that could include longevity, project choice, pop culture impact, acting range, awards footprint other talents, their personal life, comedic chops, box office success, or anything else that matters to us as Munson's. This time we're going to start with Aubrey. So going into this, I was able to make the comparison of Mila Kunis for me personally to Cameron Diaz. Because going into this, I had a preconceived notion of who I thought this person was as an actor. I didn't think of them as an actor very much at all because I had this, this notion that I had developed rather easily and i was really excited to see where analyzing their career and their performances would go unlike cameron diaz this kind of went the other way 
the more that I spent time kind of focusing on her, particularly as an actor, the less I kind of liked it. Yes. And so it seemed as if she fit more of what my preconceived notion already was. So she kind of just, you know, to quote the Dennis, great Dennis Green, she was who I thought she was. <laughs> she is good actor. She's a fine actor, I would probably say. She's a fine actor. She's not. I never would be mad when she pops up in something. But I also would never go out of my way to watch anything that she's doing, unless it's like a Bad Mom's Easter or something like that. <laughs> I, with that, I think I'm going to put her pretty low. I've got her at 57. All right. James, I think her pop culture impact is undeniable. I think her name recognition is off the charts. And a lot of that has to do with the two uh, sitcoms she was on for almost 20 years. We're looking at that 70s show and Family Guy, but also the fact that she's like the hottest actress in Hollywood. I would easily say she is by far the actress I find the most attractive. And I think that is a completely fair reason to be famous. I don't think (laughs) we need to ask more than that from people. Does that mean she's a great actress? No. But does she she deserve the praise she receives? I believe so. I will say in the movies that I saw, the ones she does the best in are the ones where she is in the rom-com role and she gets to be sassy. Totally agree. But I will say the thing I like most about her outside of her stunning attractiveness is uh, she seems to be incredibly cool. Every question she gets asked, she answers honestly and in her personal life, other than mistake of supporting Danny Masterson, she seems to always be doing the right thing, which is something I really respect. She donated to Planned Parenthood and Mike Pence's name which is hilarious. Uh, it unfortunately uh, got her a lot of hot water with Jim Beam <laughs> as people decided to boycott Jim Beam after that. But she didn't care, which I respect. She raised all that money for Ukraine. And when asked about her parenting techniques, she said the exact same thing that me and my wife had said. is like, our baseline goal is we want our kids to be happy. But other than that, the other goal is like, how do you just not raise someone to be an asshole? And when she said that, I was like, that is like one of my goals. Like, I just want to make sure my kid is happy and they're a good person. And that's about all I'm asking for. And when I read that, I was like, totally respect that. And so I'm going to give her a 64. All right. Laura, our guest Munson. I was looking at a couple different categories and then I threw in some extra credit. For categories, longevity, I would put her at about 70. Consistency, 65. Pop culture, 75. Ranges Nectar, that's the lowest. I did 55. And awards talent, 50. And then for extra credit, I agree. I think she's a very down-to-earth person when she's interviewed. She talks about, like you said, raising her kids. They, they, they give her grief about not spoiling them with Christmas gifts and birthday gifts. They give them to them, but not a ton. You know, they, they, she does it in, um, you know, she doesn't want to spoil them to death. And I think about, too, how she is so beautiful and she's gone through the struggle with um, the blindness in one eye for a while she had and the different eye colors. She had one brown and one green. So that's got to be hard if your looks are your moneymaker, you know, so you have to find ways to get around that. I like that she escorted a Marine to the Marine Bar and she started her own production company. So that's all good. And the downside, you know, again, that Danny Masterson, that really tanked my opinion. And I have to think more of it was Ashton than her. I just, I don't know why I do. I think she was trying to just be supportive, but 
especially because they used to have so much awareness on trafficking and, you know, trying to help women. And then that came out and it was like, what, what just happened? So overall I would give her 63. All right. Hey, I want to back up a little bit to James's Munson meter score. It's very typical of the most handsome person on our podcast to give out scores because somebody's beautiful. So I just wanted to acknowledge, I thought that was a little bit too on the nose there, James, but I'm not going to punish her for that. As you guys know, my, my scores have uh, zero basis in science, zero basis in consistency, and I don't put a whole lot of thought into them. So, in fact, I put more thought into pointing out James acknowledging somebody's beautiful than I did her score. The only data point that I really loved was how impressed I was from March 2008 until February 2009. Her average IMDb star meter was one. That's really cool. It's really impressive. With all that said, you guys have already made all the other points, and I'm going to give her a 60. And this is going to shock you guys. I don't have anything unique to say. You've said everything I possibly had on my list. (laughs) Literally, I've got nothing new to add. So with that, I'm going to give her a 56. And that that is going to give Mila Kunis a 60 on the dot, which puts her in 81st place between Gabriel Byrne and James Mosden. In honor of Rigby. That is a very fair score. <laughs> it is. What was she, 73rd? 72. Okay, so a little bit lower than the, the snapshot, but yeah. ballpark. That's what we're looking for. Well, unlike our last episode, we can have this segment. So, Aubrey, what has she got coming? There's not a ton of information on either. So there's one called Good Rich. It's a comedy drama. It's in production. It's about a father that seeks the help of his adult daughter to raise his young twins after his second wife leaves him. The titular him here, I think, is going to be Michael Keaton, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Those are the two biggest stars of that movie. The thing that makes me nervous is the writer-director is Haley Myers Shire. And the only other thing that she's written and directed is the 2017, I think it was comedy with Reese Witherspoon, Home Again, which was atrocious. So that <laughs> makes me a little nervous. Aubrey, you said Michael Keaton is the only other big star in there. I think you forgot Andy McDowell. Well, I didn't scroll. Okay, I said they were the biggest. <laughs> the other thing she has coming, which is also in, pro- or is in pre-production, is a movie called Jackpot, which is a remake of a 2011 Norwegian film of the same name. And it's four guys win a jackpot over a million dollars, but when it comes to dividing it up, things get bloody. Ooh. Brian Cranston is attached to this, and Jennifer Garner. And Mila Kunis. So there's a lot still here before we can get really excited. Will Gluck is the director. Yeah. He's got some interesting stuff. The Peter Rabbit movies, of which I like both. Annie. He did Friends with Benefits. Friends with Benefits, which is good. Easy A, which is amazing. And Fired Up, I've never seen. Okay. I'd say she's got some stuff that could be really interesting coming. I'm excited for that one. Jennifer Gardner, big fan. I would also add her production company is creating stoner cats and it's selling millions of nfts it hasn't even dropped yet based on a like a granny type character it's animation Mm -hmm. but they said that only nft holders will be able to watch it and it sold out within the first 35 minutes it looks nice but it doesn't look that nice you know i don't know what what are we missing here it does have a lot of big actors in it though you're never going to know without your NF, whatever you called it, EFT, NFT. NFT. Yeah. There you go. It's a game, baby. They said Chris Rock, Jane Fonda, 
and Seth MacFarlane. Bam. Uh, next episode is going to hit on December 7th. We're bringing back Lauren Hopkins, who was with us from Maya Rudolph, Elliot Page, and Angelina Jolie. Another background actor who lives in the Pittsburgh. And she jo- is joining for one of these five actors. So the wheel selected one of them. Is it Kristen Bell, Dan Aykroyd, Henry Winkler, Diane Ladd, or David Arquette? What do we like? What do we dislike? Henry Winkler. Yeah. All about it. I thought he was hilarious in Barry. Great in Barry. That's. Cover Winkler with bees, Nikki. That's what I think of when I hear <laughs> Waterboy. I mean, he's, a, he's in some fun films, too. Kristen Bell would be a lot of fun. We'd get back into the Bad Bombs universe real quick. I'd rewatch for that. Out of principle. Yeah. Just purely based on principle, you know? I mean, you gotta do your research. <laughs> They're all really good. Put me down for David Arquette. David Arquette? Yep. He's amazing, too. It's a really good list. It's a really hard list to pick from. I think they're all amazing. Of course, I would go for Dan Aykroyd. You already solved my question of who would you pick, Laura, and it would be the Chicago one and Dan Aykroyd. So that's the obvious one. I don't even have to ask it. You're a step ahead of me. Kristen Bell will pop up in the random choice that is coming. Mm. Very possible. 20% chance you're right. The wheel will choose. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Uh, I, whoever said David Arquette, I'm I'm game with that too. I would enjoy the David Arquette. I mean, we're past Halloween, but we could watch some Scream stuff. You can watch Eight Legged Freaks. Eight Legged Freaks. Your words of it. He just had some very unusual film actions. So I, I appreciate that. And he's a massive wrestling fan, if I remember correctly. Yes, he had a documentary that came out like two or three years ago that was very interesting. Yeah, that like cataloged his attempted wrestling career he has 150 credits according to imdb the only one we didn't mention is diane ladd she's been nominated for three oscars she's the older one of this group and i don't know a ton about diane ladd so that'd be interesting to explore her career and watch some older films maybe rigby would come back for that chinatown yeah it's probably like the best movies to watch that are like critically acclaimed with diane ladd versus some of the other ones doesn't matter here's the final question lauren Who's she picking based on her experience and background? Winkler. I, I think it might be Kristen Bell. Well, Lauren doesn't decide. Laura doesn't decide for the enunciating enunciation challenged folks out there. I don't decide much to the chagrin of James who thinks I do. The wheel decides and we'll see what happens. Laura, you made it through number five officially filled an entire hands worth of appearances with as a guest months and how we feeling over there i love it i love it you guys are amazing thank you so much again for inviting me it's so much fun oh thank you for coming i I always love your random crazy stories they're so much fun to hear (laughs) yeah great story any plugs or wise words for audience from you well, just the screenplay, once I get it done, it, it should be done next year. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. I have to pilot it out the theater group and see. I'll tell you more about it at the next podcast. Awesome. Good luck with that. Once I get scheduled into 2026 or 2025. There you go. Well, as we wrap up, you can find us on X at Munson's at Movies. You can find us on Instagram, Munson's at the Movies. You can email us, Munson's at the Movies at gmail.com. Any final thoughts from Mila Kunis? Just gonna grow up to be like another entitled white dude who thinks he's awesome for no reason. And then you'll start a ska band and, and it'll be awful and you'll be mean to girls and you'll grow this ironic mustache to look interesting but you won't actually be interesting and I'm not okay with that. 
Munson's out. All right, let's go. Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a PhD in stupidity. Doctor, shall we? The Bears are who we thought they were. That's why we took the damn field. Now, if you want to crown them, then crown their ass. But they are who we thought they were.